0: The Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by Winbet. Bet $100 at Winbet and get a $100 free bet. Head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T to claim your free bet today. We're also brought to you by IPVanish. IPVanish is the official VPN of SGPN. And they're offering 70% off if you go to IPVanish.com slash SGP. That's ipvanish.com slash SGP. And finally, make sure to check out our new Discord server, the perfect place to interact and sweat bets with the entire SGP and crew. Just head over to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash Discord. You are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can also follow the Twitter account for BetMUFC. It's at BetMUFC. That's at BetMUFC. There'll be an episode of the BetMUFC podcast dropping on Saturday. Looking at Manchester United's game at home to Brighton. Finally, follow the Twitter account for LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. Lockbetting.com is my premium pay service and it's also now a free podcast where you can get your Bundesliga season preview and a look at match day one in the Bundesliga. Lockbetting.com has delivered 110 months in a row of Transparent Track Profit which means we are just 10 months away from being able to say I haven't had a single losing month in a decade. This is all transparent and tracked. You can see every single spreadsheet, including the spreadsheet for the month of July. All you need to do is look at the pinned tweet on the Lock Betting Twitter account, which is at LockBetting.com. And you will see the pin tweet is the PL for the month of July. When you open that PL up, you can do your research for other months. Go down to the bottom of the page. You'll see little tags. They say things like soccer, tennis, NBA, etc. One of them says PL. Click the PL tab and you'll be able to see all the PLs for the previous months while you're doing your research. I recommend you look at the type of bets we do. Look at the stakes, and you'll see they're very sensible stakes. No five-unit, ten-unit plays, or twenty-unit Maxwells, none of that nonsense. All sensible stakes for everyone. And most importantly, look at the members' comments down the bottom, verifying, in fact, this service has genuinely delivered 110 months in a row of transparent track profit, and we are undefeated for over nine years. This is a great month to sign up because we're releasing all of our soccer futures. They hit at 81% at the moment along with the Tennis US Open starting at the end of the month. And, of course, we have domestic soccer action now coming every single weekend, along with our NFL futures coming up as well. We look at the month of August as the start of the financial betting year, the calendar year, obviously January to January. We look at August to August because we release so many futures in this month. So, as I said, if you want to be a part of the service, head over to LockBetting.com if you want to get free podcasts from LockBetting. Then subscribe to the Lock Betting Podcast For your Bundesliga preview The Premier League is back And it's got some act to follow Stella, He wouldn't do it again with him. Stella, over again The Stanley of Stanley champions Absorbing until the very end But the latest domestic marathon is about to get going And we're here for it Back again. Back again. I'm 40, back again. So here we go. This is your EPL futures preview for the 2022-23 season. This is part 1. We start by looking at the outright winner's market with Manchester City. Once again, the favourites, they are available at 4-6 to to retain their Premier League crown. The second favourites in the market are Liverpool, who were pipped for the title last season on the final day. Liverpool are available at 5-2. Then the third favourites to win the league this season is surprisingly Tottenham. Tottenham are coming in here at 12 to 1. They are above Chelsea here, who are out at 16 to 1. This is because the bookies believe, obviously, firstly, in Antonio Conte, and secondly, in the business that Tottenham have done during the summer window. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we break down all of the teams here for the Premier League winners' market. Chelsea are 16 to 1 they're followed by Arsenal at 28 to 1 who are ahead of Manchester United who are at 40 to 1 I've mentioned this before I'll mention it again this is the biggest price in the history of the Premier League and this dates back to it starting in 92 93 that um Manchester United have Ever been 40 to 1 is the biggest price United have ever been at the start of the season and it kind of tells you where Man United are at the moment and it also tells you the strengths of this Liverpool and Manchester City team who lead the market after that you have Newcastle they're available here at 100 to 1. I don't think Newcastle have quite done the business that people expected. Obviously, when you're the richest football club in the world, you're going to be linked to a lot of names. A lot of those names haven't come in. What it's been is very conservative and sensible business. I think Newcastle will improve, but uh, I don't think they'll get anywhere near the title or near the top four. Which is probably evident by that 100 to 1 price. They're followed by West Ham at 150 to 1, Leicester at 200 to 1. And um, I don't understand that because I would have Leicester at more like 2,000 or 5,000 to 1. They've had a horrible summer window, yet they're still at 200 to 1 ahead of Aston Villa at 250 to 1, Brighton 250 to 1, and everybody else is bigger. Then 500 to 1 and probably not worth talking about here in this category. So for me, it really comes down to two teams. Now, a lot of people are making a case for Tottenham. They're making a case for Tottenham challenging for the league. A lot of people are talking about Tottenham as if they are automatically going to be in the top four. But I don't think that's going to be the case. We'll talk more about the top four and we'll talk more about Tottenham in a second. But let's first start off by talking about the top two. I don't see anything changing here when it comes to the top two. And it hurts me to say that because as a Manchester United fan... These two clubs are our sworn enemy. They are our worst enemies. We, we hate Liverpool and we hate Manchester City. We obviously hate Liverpool a little bit more because we've been neck and neck in terms of success over the years. Obviously, we don't want Liverpool to equal us for the most league titles won. Manchester City are a little bit further back. And obviously, we see Manchester, United, uh, Manchester City sorry, as our little brother, Anyway, even if they go on to win trophy after trophy, they just don't have the fan base that Manchester United have. They'll never be a a bigger club than Man U. But Liverpool, they are in that conversation. They are a worldwide supported team. They do have a big history, and there is a genuine hatred between Liverpool and Manchester United. So it always hurts us more when Liverpool have success than it does Manchester City. Although both hurt us, we would rather be seeing a, a London club winning the league if it wasn't Man United ourselves. And um, having these two at the front of the market and having these two looking like they're going to be the front runners for some time. Because look at the business that they've done, Manchester City. Yes, they've lost Zinchenko, they've lost Raheem Sterling but they've bought in Erling Haaland they've bought in Calvin Phillips they're also looking at other additions as well uh, because the difference between this Premier League season because of the World Cup and other Premier League seasons is that we're going to play four games before the window closes. Usually the Premier League starts in the second or third week of August, but this one starts in the first week of August because they want to play a certain amount of games before the World Cup starts. So these managers are going to get a really good look at their squads over the first two to three weeks and we'll see what they want to do because they have four games to look at their teams before the deadline for the transfer window closes. So this is very, very interesting with teams starting this season with incomplete squads. We've got the likes of Man United and, and Manchester City and Tottenham and, and even Chelsea being linked to multiple players still in the market. I think for Manchester City their business is done and for me that's why they're still the the significant favourite and that's why I still think they'll win the league this season. I think you can always make a case for Manchester City prioritising the Champions League. That isn't by, uh, isn't from their supporters, by the way. Their supporters aren't really fans of the Champions League. Their supporters will always tell you, their hardcore supporters anyway, will always tell you that Manchester City would rather win the Premier League over and over again rather than winning the Champions League. But these owners, they want to establish Manchester City as a big club. They want to establish Manchester City as a worldwide entity. They are desperate to win the Champions League, I think Pep Guardiola for his legacy, which I believe is being damaged by his failure to win the Champions League, he badly wants to win the Champions League, so you can make the case that this team will always prioritise the Champions League, but when you look at the squad depth, when you look at the fact that over the past few seasons, especially last year, they could pretty much put any eleven out. And it was acceptable. Manchester City didn't really have a first eleven last season. I mean, you can make a case that um, Edison was 100% always in the team. He's, he's an automatic. Uh, Ruben Diaz was in most of their strongest elevens. Jael uh, Cancelo really nailed his place in the team. Kevin De Bruyne, obviously you can talk about him. I would say Rodri uh, got in as the number one defensive midfielder quite clearly. But... Other than that, you can't really say that about anybody in the attack. You can't say that with confidence about the defensive partner for, for Ruben Diaz. Then that, that's really the beauty of Manchester City. You could put anyone in these positions, whether it be a Sterling, a Mares, a Grealish. Last year, it just didn't matter. I don't think that's the case as much this season. I think um, with with Rodri, you've got competition for his place with Calvin Phillips. So that's another place where you you can probably say you don't really know who the first choice is. But up front, we now have a different dynamic with Erling Haaland coming in. He's going to play he's going to play every game and that's going to change things because that's going to change the way Manchester City attack. It's going to change the way that they try and win the ball up the the pitch. It's going to change the way that they dominate the ball possession in terms of the false nine dropping out and allowing the wingers to make um, runs into the box. It's going to change everything. Is it going to change too much? Because this is a signing that's been made to get over the line. Make no mistake about it. This has been made to to win key games. When they're in tight games. When people are parking the bus against them and they can't get the breakthrough, the difference here is that you can get balls into the box. You can look for that target, man. You can take a shortcut. You don't need to walk it into the goal. You don't need to play beautiful, pretty football with pretty patterns and have 75% possession possession when you've got Erling Haaland. You can do something different. You can do something direct. That's the difference. You can get that goal. You can make sure that you create that half chance. And this is the guy to put it into the back of the net. But is that going to change Manchester City too much stylistically? And as for Haaland as a player, everybody's looking at him and going, oh, he's automatically going to score 20 goals, 25 goals, hit the ground running his first season. Well, first of all, he gets injured a lot. And this is a more physical league than the Bundesliga. And second of all, is he going to get that service? Because if he does get that service and he is able to score those 25 goals that everybody automatically assumes, then Manchester City are going to be playing stylistically different because they are going to be getting the ball into the box and they are going to be using him the way that he was being used at Borussia Dortmund and the way he was used before that at RB Salzburg. So this would be a big shift for Manchester City to play that way because they've never played that way before. Even Sergio Aguero had to change his pattern of play and the way that he played to get into um, Pep Guardiola's team we've seen Gabriel Jesus become a different player now I know it's only been a um, it's only been a summer pre-season but he's been banging in the goals left and right for Arsenal because he doesn't have to do so much of the donkey work when he plays as a forward for Arsenal his sole purpose is to go there and score goals and be a real number nine whereas Manchester City's number nines have never been real number nines and for Erling Haaland it's going to be very very interesting to see is he going to change or are Manchester City going to change or is he just going to be there to get them out of jams in games that are tight obviously he'll be able to score goals in, in, in games different ways it's not going to be a case of we need to give him a supply of crosses or whatnot obviously he's a player that can play with his feet he can get himself into the right positions and he is going to score goals even if Manchester City are dominate dominating the ball but is he going to come out unselfishly and pull men away and allow those wingers to do what they did previously is he going to become more of a team player or are Manchester City suddenly going to start um, looking for the striker a lot more than they have done previously? So this is all very, very interesting to see if this signing is the signing that makes Manchester City even more dominant in this league or the signing that helps them even win the Champions League. Or is it in fact going to be a negative? Is it going to be too much of a change? Are we going to see too much of a different Manchester City that not only don't win the Champions League, but allow Liverpool to win the Premier League this season. Now, as for Liverpool, I feel that the significant change that they've made has been very, very overlooked. I think people are looking at Sadio Mane as somebody who was ready to be shown the door as someone who was contributing less to Liverpool over the last couple of years and as if Darwin Nunes is going to come straight in and be the like-for-like replacement. I don't see that at all because Darwin Nunes and Sadio Mane are completely different players. In fact, I don't think Liverpool have got another player like Sadio Mane. Let's not forget when Jurgen Klopp came into Liverpool, he didn't have a a good first season initially. Liverpool just about finished in the top half. It took some time time for him to develop the to the style and the heavy metal football and the pressing and everything that he wanted to do. And in order to implement that, he needed one key ingredient. He needed one key man to start all of that. He needed one player to show everybody exactly how Liverpool wanted to attack with their front line. That was Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane has led the charge with this Liverpool attack ever since he got there. He has been the key man in the front three. I understand he's been outscored by Mo Salah. I understand Mo Salah now is the bigger name and and the one that they wanted to keep hold of. But I think people are overlooking the fact that Sadio Mane set the tone. Sadio Mane is going to be a big miss. Has he scored as many as Mo Salah? Has he contributed as much as Mo Salah over the last few seasons? No, no. But I don't think that you can overlook the fact that he was the first one there and he set the tone for the way Liverpool wanted to play. And I think it's very much overlooking things if you think Darwin Nunes is going to automatically come in and uh, and be the replacement. The same way I think people were making too much of the fact that Darwin Nunes was missing chances in pre-season. But I do think the guy is overpriced. I didn't want him at Man United. I think the price tag was too high. He's only really had one good season. And I'll be very surprised if he comes into the Premier League and makes a major contribution such as scoring 20 goals for this Liverpool team. There is going to be competition for places as well, especially when Diego Jota returns. And of course, you've still got Roberto Firmino. I'm not sure if Liverpool are going to do much more business. And because I don't think they will, for me, that's why I still lean towards Manchester City getting things right, finding a way to utilise Haaland and still winning the league this season. I just don't think Liverpool have done enough significant business. Although they didn't really have to do anything major, I just felt like a like-for-like replacement, or at least replacing one player in the same position. You lose Mane, you bring in Darwin Nunes. I expected them to do a little bit more business than that in order to make a significant title charge this season. So, um, I think it's difficult to see beyond beyond those as the top two. Obviously, people are making a case for Tottenham. Yes, Tottenham have done some significant business. Yes, Antonio Conte is a great manager. But when you really look at those signings that they've bought in, when you look at the likes of uh, Basuma and Perisic, they, for me, are the two players who get into this Tottenham 11. Everybody else doesn't. Even when you're looking at Richarlison and the massive fee that they've paid out for him, I'm not sure that Richarlison starts ahead of Kulusevski. I don't think he does. I think that they go with um, Kulosebski because he had a strong end to the season. I think they obviously go with Son and I think they go with Harry Kane. So your your biggest signing isn't going to start in your first 11. I think Basuma will. I think he makes their midfield better. I think he makes them a little bit more compact and difficult to break down. I think he protects that back four a little bit better than Hoiberg. Obviously, I think initially they're going to go with both. And I think he does improve the side, but... Everybody else they've signed, I don't think that they start in the team. I think Perisic does, but at the end of the day, that's a left wing-back that you're going to be playing there in the Premier League, who's in his 30s. Yes, he's been a a well-cast player for most of his career, but can he adapt to the Premier League? And can he be a significant and an impactful signing as a left wing back, which is such an important position when you give the way, when you look at the way that Tottenham play in this formation, the wing backs need to be up and down. They need to be able to defend. They need to be able to create assists. They need to be able to Keep up with the pace of the Premier League. Is Perisic going to be able to do that as a starter in the left wing back position in his 30s? I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure that this Tottenham window is as good as everybody's making out. And I certainly don't know if they should be the third favourites above Chelsea. Now, Chelsea have pretty much got the same players... That won the Champions League for them. They've gone back to not having Lukaku. They won the Champions League without Lukaku. And now they haven't got Lukaku again. But they've signed Raheem Sterling. So you could argue that this is a stronger Chelsea team than the one that won the Champions League. You could argue that, but I wouldn't. Because they have lost some significant defensive players. I think Rudiger has been excellent ever since Thomas Tuchel came in. That's going to be a big miss. But then at the same time, they've signed Colin Kulabali. And Colin Kulabali has been one of the best five defenders in the world, one of the best five centre backs in the world for the past for the past five years. So for me, I don't think there is a major crisis at Chelsea. It was surprising to me that Chelsea have struggled so much to bring players in this summer because London has always been a very, very appealing destination for players. We always saw players signing for Arsenal. We always saw players signing for Spurs. We always saw players signing for Chelsea, especially during the Roman Abramovich era. We saw the likes of... uh... Eden Hazard going to play for Chelsea we saw loads of names coming through under under Mourinho and um, yeah it's been been strange to see Chelsea struggling and have so many people reject them. Um, Rafinha literally sat there and waited for Barcelona to come along and took less wages than moving to Chelsea when it looked like Chelsea had the deal in the bag. At the same time they also lost Jules Koundé to Barcelona as well so Barcelona have really dominated Chelsea in this transfer window and they've done it with no money and um, they're now asking players to take a wage cut. I mean, we'll talk about Barcelona on a, on another um, podcast but I've gone from somebody who always admired Barcelona and always wanted Barcelona to do well to a person who would like to see Barcelona go under. I would like to see Barcelona go out of business. I would like to see Barcelona go into ad administration because, quite frankly, the way they've conducted themselves in the last two years has been absolutely disgraceful. Um, they They basically cheated their way through this window in the way that they've done their business would I love to see it if I was a Barcelona fan would I love it if I was um, a Man United fan and Man United done this kind of business what they've got for £150 million yes I would absolutely love it but the way they've acted um, with Manchester United, the way they've acted um, against Chelsea, the way that they've managed to position themselves uh, to to get these players and what they've had to do to do it, um, I obviously feel that that's not right and um, it would give me a lot of satisfaction to see everything go wrong for Barcelona this season. And uh, we'll talk about Barcelona on a La Liga preview. That will be something that is available on the Soccer Gambling Podcast later on this month. Let's finish up here by talking about these last two teams in this top six from the bookies. We have Arsenal at 28-1. to Cannot make a case for Arsenal challenging for the league. When your your key signings are players that Manchester City decided to get rid of in terms of Gabriel Jesus and Shinsenko. Yes, it improves you definitely in terms of going for the top four, but I cannot make any case for Arsenal challenging for the league. So When we're looking at that top four, that's going to be something that we do cover on part two because I do think the top four race is going to be fascinating this season. The way the bookies have got it, it looks like it's automatically going to be Manchester City, Liverpool, Tottenham and Chelsea. But if there's so many question marks over Chelsea and I'm sitting here saying that I don't think Tottenham signings... and um, quite improved their, their first 11 then obviously there's going to be an opportunity for the likes of Arsenal and for Manchester United to creep into that top four now for Man United again like Arsenal they're not going to be title contenders there's a reason why they've gone all the way out to 40 to 1 but for me I don't think that they are out of the top four race. I don't think there's a significant enough difference between Man United and Tottenham for Tottenham to be 12 to 1 to win the league and United to be 40 to 1 to win the league. As a Man United supporter, when I look at that Tottenham team, the only two players that I would desperately want in my lineup would still be Son and Kane. They've been the best two players at Tottenham for a long time and coming into this season, they are still the best two players at Tottenham. They are the only two well cast players that Tottenham have. And yes, they have a world class manager as well in Antonio Conte, possibly the best manager in world football right now when you look at what he's done and when you look at what he did with this Tottenham team that were going nowhere before he came in last season. So. They do have a lot of assets, but I just don't know if they're that much better than Manchester United. I Certainly, would question that they're better than Chelsea just because they've done some or more, done more business than Chelsea in this summer window. As for Man United, when you're looking at that Tottenham side and you're comparing Man United being at forty one and Tottenham at twelve to one, all I'll say to you is this: Who do you want in goal? De Gea or Loris? Who do you want as your fullbacks? Do you want Emerson Royale and a Perisic in his 30s? Or do you want Diego Dallo, who plays for Portugal, as a regular, and Luke Shaw of England? Do you want those two players playing out wide for you? Or do you want Perisic and Emerson Royale, whose defending is questionable? When you're looking at your centre-backs, it's fair to say that Christian Romero had a much better season than Rafa Varane last season. He was the better signing last season... But is he a better defender than Rafa Varane? Is he someone who has as many accolades as, as Varane, a player who's been in the conversation for one of the top five defenders in world football for the last five to seven years and has won multiple Champions Leagues and a World Cup? Is Romero now better? Is Eric Dyer? better than Harry Maguire because Gareth Southgate doesn't think so because ha- Harry Maguire plays regularly for England. He's one of the first names on the team sheet. Then we've added uh, Lissandro Martinez and we've still got Victor Lindelof. Does Victor Lindelof get into the Tottenham side in the back in the back four? He probably does. Tottenham play a back three, so he would definitely get into that lineup. Um, they have signed Lungley from Barcelona, but if Barcelona are letting players go, then obviously they're not great. So, It's difficult for me to make a case for Tottenham having a better defence than Man United. When you look at this midfield, yes, Basuma makes Tottenham stronger. But were Manchester United interested in signing Bersouma? Because Manchester United have gone all out to get Frankie de Jong. And if Man United do get Frankie de Jong, you could argue that they've then got the better player in that position. When you're looking at creativity, uh, Man United have got Christian Eriksen. They've got um, Bruno Fernandes. And they've got Fred as a utility midfield player. Are the likes of Benton and Heuberg and Basuma and Harry Winks better than the players that I named from Manchester United? When you look up top, I think that's the only place where you can argue that Tottenham are stronger. With um, Kulosevsky and Richarlison, along with Kane and Song. With Man United, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo there, but with the way Cristiano Ronaldo plays is different to the way Eric Ten Hag wants to play with Manchester United looking to press higher up the pitch and Ronaldo being in the bottom 1% for attackers who implement the press. So it's very, very difficult to say Ronaldo, despite the fact he scored 18 league goals a season, fits in with Man, with what Man United are doing. But then if Man United do go with the attack of Sancho, Rashford and Martial, that's a completely different proposition. That's three players who who have pace and skill and are able to press the ball and are able to win the ball high up the pitch. And they're able to put the ball in the back of the net on their day. Neither of them, none of those three have done it consistently enough, but on their day, that is a very, very dangerous front three, especially if you add Mason Greenwood to it because he fits in perfectly with those three if Mason Greenwood does come back to play. So I think there's, um, there's something to be said about the pricing here. We'll start the next show by immediately looking at the top four. We'll continue on from where we are finishing this show. But just to reiterate, for me, it's very, very difficult to look beyond uh, Manchester City and Liverpool. And I do think in the end, Manchester City will win the Premier League once again. Now, this show isn't going to close out with a lock because we have only really looked at the outright market. We've given it an entire show. On the next show, we'll be looking at a lot more. We'll be looking at the top four. We'll be looking at the top six. We'll be looking at the top half. We'll be looking at the top goal scorer. We're looking at the relegation race. We're just going to breeze through markets. It's going to be a very very quick show but obviously when you're looking at the outright winner of the premier league which is obviously the main prize on offer there's, there's no trophy for finishing in the top four it's just something that people want to do obviously too, to have champions league football but this is what's most important and for me i think manchester city win it again and they are available at the price of four to six minus 150 to do exactly that that's it for me for part one of your premier league preview good luck of all your bets as always and thanks for listening